So my name's Tony. Uh, if you're new or visiting, glad to have you. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as pastor here. Uh, now, that was pretty epic. Um, one of the things we like to do during Advent is light candles just to mark the passage of time to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Uh, we're at the fourth week of Advent, so I want to invite uh, Faye and Lynn up here. They're going to light the Advent candles for us. And this is actually the angel's candle. And the reason it's the angel's candle is remembering that angels are the ones who declared this good news uh, to the shepherds. Uh, it's also called the candle of peace because they announced that it is through Jesus that peace comes. So they're going to light the first four candles of Advent. And then we're just going to say a communal prayer and it'll be projected up here. Feel free to light it. Awesome. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Lord, in this Advent season, we praise you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who reconciled all things, including us, to the Father. As we wait for his return, help us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In his name, amen. Thank you, guys. Watch your step on the way down. Looks like the kids hid some toys over there, so be careful. So while that was an awesome performance this morning, uh, and, you know, we will meditate on it, I'm sure, for a, a bit. Uh, yeah, watch your step on there. All right. Uh, I want to focus a little bit this morning on the message of Christmas, right? There's so many moving pieces during this season. You have candles, you have lights, you have presents, you have family. There's all these moving pieces, and I think it's easy in the midst of it to kind of lose sight of the message of Christmas. Specifically, I want to focus on uh, what Jeannie articulated a few moments ago, what specifically the angel says to the shepherds. There's two lines here. And he says it in kind of, it's kind of the boiled down message of Christmas in like Twitter brevity. It's this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now there's four elements of this that I want to emphasize, at least to start with, uh, just because I think, you know, I think we've heard this a number of times, and maybe we haven't unpacked it. So I want to kind of unpack it a little bit this morning. The first is I want to focus on this idea of the good news. So it's important, I think, to just historically situate this word. So the good news. So the good news was declared in the Roman Empire. Uh, Augustus Caesar makes him, takes the Republic of Rome and makes it an empire. He puts himself at the head. And then whenever the Roman army would go and conquer like a barbarian horde somewhere. So let's imagine they're going some, maybe into Germany. And there's all these barbarians and they, the Romans conquer them. And then they do is they send messengers out. And they declare the good news of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace throughout the entire Roman Empire, right? And what they're basically saying is, hey, guys, good news. We've just brought economic prosperity because we've conquered this people and now we're going to benefit from it. And two, uh, you're going to be safe because there's no, not going to be any barbarian hordes sort of meandering in our empire anymore, right? So they declare this. And so when the angel declares good news to these shepherds, that's the historical context in which they're going to understand good news, right? The Pax Romana. Now, second, this message is not simply good news. It's also good news that leads to 
great joy. This word kara in Greek is a really wonderful word. Uh, it's this word uh, that sort of uh, gets at this idea of banquet celebrations and the joy that's there. It's sort of like in the next few days, you're probably going to gather with a few people that you care about, that you love, right? Or maybe you've had this in the past where you sit at a table and there's this moment of joy at the table where you're with people, you're with them, you're having some food, you're having a fun time and you have this experience of joy, of celebration. So when the angel says, good news of great joy, that's what they're getting at. But it's also for all people, right? The message of the Pax Romana that was the good news that was sent out by Rome was primarily for Roman, Roman citizens and elite Roman citizens. So when the angel says, hey, good news of great joy for all people, the shepherds are like, even me? Right? This is good news for all people, people that are in Europe, people that are in Asia, people that are in Africa, uh, poor shepherds and re- wealthy Roman citizens. So the shepherds know in this moment, this is an alternative good news that is meant for them. But there's even more because in verse 11, the angel also explains the content of the good news. And this is what the angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, right? See, this good news isn't just about Rome or the Pax Romana. It isn't just about economic prosperity or even safety, right? What the angel is saying is that a savior, savior, a rescuer is born, Christ. Now, Christos, right, from the word in Hebrew, Messiah, Mashiach, the one who God would send to establish his kingdom and bring his rule to earth, right? But the angel also says that the Lord is coming. God himself has arrived, Now, as modern readers, I think we often interpret sort of spirituality and religion in terms of ethics, in terms of like, all right, how do you life hack the good life, you know? So we think of it in terms of behaviors, right? So often we think about religion, we think of, all right, I need to do these things and not do these things uh, unless I'm incredibly hypocritical and then I tell people not to do these things and then do them myself, right? So that's kind of the context that we often think of religion, right? As good advice, not necessarily good news, It's like saying to someone on Christmas dinner, hey, let me show you, let me teach you how to wash that massive pile of dishes in your sink. That's good advice. Not necessarily wanted, but good advice, right? Then there's good news saying, hey, the dishes are done. I did them for you. What we hear the angel declaring is not good advice. Hey, live this way. What the angel is declaring is good news. Hey, God has done something for you. This is, I think, one of the really important messages, the elements of the Christmas message. It's not good advice, it's good news. The birth of of a savior. But as modern people, this can chafe a bit, right? It's like, because a savior implies saving. It implies rescue. And this can make us a little less comfortable, right? Actually, in fact, right, the gift of Christmas is the gift we get that we don't actually really want to have to receive. It's like a friend on Christmas gives you a book on selfishness. And you say, thank you. In some ways, you're admitting, like, you need a book on selfishness to help you live. The Christmas message is kind of like that. Tim Keller has this great quote in Hidden Christmas. It's a little long, but endure with me because I think it really gets at the sort of core of it. 
He says this, Some gifts are hard to receive, because to do so is to admit that you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. Perhaps on some occasion you had a friend who figured out you were in financial trouble and came to you and offered a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. If that has ever happened to you, you probably found that to receive the gift meant to swallow your pride. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus requires us to do. Christmas means that we are lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the Son of God himself could save us. Though as modern readers of this story, I think this, like, we resist this because it feels a little less comfortable, right? And on a few different levels. One, the angel doesn't go up to the shepherds and the world more generally and say, hey, do you feel like you need saving? Do you notice that? But in our culture, in our context, like, primarily as our culture defines it, we get to determine whether we are good or bad, in need saving, or in not in need in saving, Right? Two, in our culture, and particularly as Americans, we don't want to rely on other people for help. So the very fact that someone else is saying, hey, you know what, you need some help, and guess what, I'm going to do it for you because you're incapable of doing it yourself, that chafes, I think, a little bit for us, right? We don't want other people telling us what we need, and we certainly don't want them helping us if we do need it. And yet, I think if we slow down a little bit and look at our world, look at the problems in our world, and we're not like reactive to the good news that these angels declare, we start to realize like there's some really intractable problems in our world. I mean, just do your news feed for a few minutes and you read about a war in Yemen that is horrible. You read about human trafficking. You read about all kinds of horrendous things that are happening in our world. And the thing is, if they were easily solvable, I think we would have solved them by now. One of the problems is in our culture, we always want to put evil, we want to put problems outside of ourselves. Like, if only we could round up the, the you know, 2% of Hitlers that are in the world and we could exterminate them, then everything would be okay. But the problem is the evil isn't just out there, but there's problems within too. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we'll say, yeah, we're probably a mixed bag. And if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I am not a mixed bag, Let's just do the quick test. Let me ask your spouse, your roommate, or your parent. And let's see if they think you're a mixed bag, because I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that one. Right? We all are a mixed bag. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, he's this brilliant Russian writer. Uh, in the early part of last century, he gets thrown in uh, Siberian prison by this really oppressive Russian regime. And if anyone is going to have a reason to say, hey, evil is out there, let's just deal with this oppressive regimes, right? It's him. It's Alexander Solzhenitsyn. But what he does is a little different. In Gulag Archipelago, this is what he writes. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were only necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. See, rather than locating evil outside of himself, Solzhenitsyn's like, hey, we got to look within. And I think most of us can see that. And maybe you relate, relate to Solzhenitsyn. And intuitively you get, man, our world is in need of help. Like Christmas level help. Like God coming to earth kind of level help. 
But I think some of us, right, you come into a, a Christmas service or as close as you can get to a Christmas service at Wellspring. We'll have Christmas Eve tomorrow, so definitely come to that. Uh, but on a Sunday morning, right, this is as close as we get. And I think some of us maybe visit on a Christmas day. We feel like we've done this before, so we come and check it out. And I think for some of us, we're not totally convinced that we need rescuing. I think some of us are kind of checking it out today and we're wondering like, ah, really? Like, do I really need it? So I want to take just a second just to tease out a few moments in modern life where maybe we viscerally get the need that maybe we need to be rescued. Maybe it's that moment when you circle back to that same entrenched fight in your marriage. And you wish that you would say something kinder, but for some reason, you say words that are harsh, that you hate yourself for saying. Or it's that moment in parenting when you wish you were a little kinder, but you're frustrated and you find yourself angry and taking it out on your kids again. Or it's that moment when you realize people are like, hey, do what you want, and you realize deep inside of you that you have no idea what you want. Because somewhere along the line, what your wanter, your ability to want, was crushed by the harshness of life. And in those moments, you realize the world is not as it should be. That there is something fundamentally wrong in the world. Or maybe it's that sad, lonely feeling you feel at night. And you found yourself drifting back and forth to the fridge three or maybe four times. And you find yourself turning on your third or fourth episode of Game of Thrones because you have this feeling at night when you're alone, this loneliness, this sense of anxiety, this sense of utter lostness deep in your body. And you feel like maybe if I just go to the fridge enough or watch enough shows, I won't have to feel it. Or maybe it's the reason that you keep checking your phone or your email or your Instagram feed because there is a present or a past pain that you're wanting to keep at bay. And in these moments, you realize the world is not as it should be. That we really need some help. You see, Christmas is not just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. Christmas is about these moments. It is about Jesus entering into the pain of our lives, the pain of our world, and bringing hope. It is about God taking on human flesh, entering into the mess and brokenness of our world, not when we've gotten our act together, not when we've figured it all out and solved the problem, but entering into the greed, selfishness, brokenness of first century life and saying, hey, I am here with you. I have come to rescue you. In the Bible, what we learn is that God creates all things good, lovely, and beautiful. But that doesn't last all that long. Right? In the Christmas story, part one of the Christmas story is God taking on human flesh and coming into the mess of our world and the lostness of our present. God coming in, taking on human flesh, taking on human form, living, dying, being resurrected, and then forming a people, the church. Right, who with hope is just hoping that God will transform us as he transformed the world, and we're going to hold on by the tips of our fingertips to that hope. Which brings us then to part two 
right? Part two is that God will then come again. Jesus will come in the power of his kingdom to rescue us, to bring his kingdom into the brokenness of our world and ourselves, to restore the world to how it should be, how we wish it was. And in that moment, it'll be like God has this huge magnet and the magnet attracts all the evil, the wrong, the brokenness that's in our world. And he'll put that magnet up and he'll kind of like suck all of that stuff out of our daily lives, out of the world, all the horrible places in our world where just monstrous things will happen, right? And God sucks that out so that the world is at it, as it should be. And in that moment, what we will experience is kara. We will experience good news. We will experience joy. Wouldn't it be worth wouldn't it be joyful news if all that stuff was taken out of creation and taken out of existence? Wouldn't it be worth gathering with some friends and having a feast, celebrating with joy the good news of God's, what God has done in the world? Now, I realize that some of us, right, we're sitting here today and we're like, I've never heard a Christmas message articulated that way uh, and maybe you're inner cynics on like hyperdrive and you're like, I don't know about this stuff. All right, let me have to add sort of just two final thoughts. The first is this. And it's specifically on doubt. Did you know that when Mary is told, hey, you know what? You're going you're gonna to have a boy and he, he's going to be the savior of the world. You're going to have birth to God. Do you know what her first response is? Doubt. That's the first thing, the first way she responds. Tim Keller has this uh, great quote uh, in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says this, Unless you have heard the Christmas message and in some point and found it incredible too, I'm not sure you have ever really grasped it. If you have never stood and looked at the gospel, right? Gospel, good news, same word, and found it ridiculous, impossible, inconceivable, I don't think you have ever really understood it. So if you're here today and you're like having some doubts, you're in good company. But I want to say this, doubt can function two different ways. Doubt can be a closed door. It can be like, oh, I have doubts. All right, slam the door. I'm no longer going to explore. I'm no longer going to sort of explore these deeper questions in the world. Or doubt can function as an open door a door that we can walk through and allow our curiosity to shape our journey. And it's my hope and prayer that as we experience doubts, that we actually walk through that door and it is there that God meets us. Which brings me to my second point, which is functionally about our role and God's in the Christmas story. Right, the Christmas message is that God comes to us, draws near to us, not after we get our act together, not after we've solved all of our doubts, but before. Right? God wades into the mess of first century life and comes to be with the people of Israel. God wades into our present, not because we've gotten our act together, solved every theological question, but because he loves us. And ultimately, God will come again, not because we have solved the world's problems, but because he plans to. Thank you. I get I'll take that as an amen. <laughs> God draws near to us. Not when we've solved all the world's problems or solved our own. 
not when we figured out all of life's answers, because he is good news drawing near to us. So I guess my, my final thing is, no matter where you're at on your faith journey, whether you've come today just to see an awesome kids play or whether you come every week, it is my hope and prayer this morning that God would reveal himself to you as he did to the Magi and as he did to the shepherds, that he would draw near to you in the dailiness of your life today. And maybe it'll be as you do that mound of Christmas dishes, or maybe it'll be when you're picking up all the haphazardly thrown about wrapping paper all over your house, or maybe it'll be as we enter worship in a few minutes. Maybe God will show up to you like he did to the shepherds, and you'll go home worshiping and glorifying God. Or maybe he'll show up to you like he did to the wise men and the magi, initiating a journey where you can wrestle with your questions, but hopefully you draw near to the person of Jesus. However God chooses to move in your life today and in this Christmas season, I'm going to pray that he draws near to you sooner rather than later, that he draws near to you today rather than tomorrow. I want to invite the worship team up because I'm going to pray that he moves among us today and draws near to us so that we can experience the good news that leads to joy for all people, including us. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your peace and the hope that you bring. God, we, we just pray, God, that in this moment we would hear the good news of your gospel. That is not simply good advice for us to live better lives, but it is good news about what you have done for us, for us personally, God, and for our world. Jesus, I pray that no matter how we slid into the pew this morning, God, that you would slide next to us. God, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our conviction, in the midst of our guilt, in the midst of our joy, God, wherever we're at, you would draw near. Just as you drew near to the shepherds, just as you drew near to the magi, just as you revealed yourself to Mary, and God, no matter where we are at, you would draw near to us and we would experience the good news of your arrival. And God, that we would look forward in hope to get the good news of your return. Jesus, give us hearts that are open to experiencing your presence. Give us ears that are open to hearing your voice. Amen.